Fearless. 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 Fearless presence. My guest today is one of the most prolific authors in contemporary hypnotism. With more than 40 years of experience, he has collected credentials and accolades like fine wines and is highly sought after for his ability to help a variety of clients from school-aged kids to professional athletes. He is the official hypnotist to the U.S. Olympic cycling team. Drake Eastburn is on a mission to educate people on the reality and impact of hypnosis. Welcome, Drake, to Fearless Presence. I would love to start with a little bit about hypnosis as in the past being this very esoteric, woo-woo, edgy kind of thing to really becoming mainstream and evidence-based. Sure. And there has been a lot of that woo-woo stuff, as you say, around hypnosis. And I'm sorry to say, but a lot of hypnotists have helped to promote that notion and still do. And there's a, a lot of uh, misinformation or hyperbolic uh, stuff going on, like on YouTube and things like that, that may be giving people the wrong kind of idea about hypnosis. And since early on, there's been this belief that with hypnosis, we can overtake your mind and control you and things like that. And and it's too bad, really, because hypnosis is really part of our everyday lives. You know, we're using hypnosis People are talking to their subconscious minds all the time. And problem is, a lot of that talk is not moving things in the way that we need it to, because we need to talk to the subconscious mind differently than we we went out there in the, let's say, real world. But we're subjected to hypnosis all the time. Advertising is a form of hypnosis. Daydreaming is hypnosis. In fact, there's really... Um, most everything is about hypnosis, and we are subjected to it. All the the political rhetoric that we hear is hypnotically based and advertisement and all these kind of things have a lot of hypnotic uh, language and stuff built into them, whether or not those people understand that. And the more knowledge that we as individuals have about hypnosis, the more we can kind of control how it affects our lives and how it gets used out there, and we can put it to better use for ourselves in a more positive way. And we can learn to talk to ourselves in a more positive way so that we get the kind of responses we want. You know, like, let's say I'm working with a weight client, and they might go, oh, I hate my big butt, or I hate my flabby arms, or whatever. Well, this is what we call organ language. And um, this term came from uh, Leslie Lacron back in the 50s. But it's like, if you talk about your negative things about yourself, all you're doing is reinforcing those things. You're not improving it. We have to learn to, you know, what would you do without your butt or your arms or whatever? You know, we need these parts and we need to think of them in a more loving way. And so how we talk to our subconscious uh, makes a big difference. You know, we might think, oh, God, I'm not too smart. I forgot the grocery list. And, you know, but what are we doing is we're we're impacting that uh uh, not being too smart when that might not be the case at all. You know, everybody forgets the grocery list once in a while, you know, and even geniuses. So, you know, but if we're looking for information to validate something about ourselves, we will find it. That information is out there. 
but I could just as easily be going, man, I'm really smart. I missed that traffic jam or whatever, you know, and, and that's reinforcing a whole nother paradigm. So it's kind of how we talk to ourselves and uh, interpret information. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with what we call the critical faculty. I don't know if you want me to get into that, but it is, you know, how our mind is formed very early on and we create these paradigms uh, that we operate within. And once we've formulated our critical faculty in an area, then that stays with us. And it's hard to break through that. And if we created a paradigm uh, that I'm stupid, then that's one that we're going to continue on with. And even when we get information that's uh, more positive, that information kind of just bounces off the critical faculty and it doesn't enter into our mindset. I would love to hear a little bit more about the definition of critical faculty, because it sounds a little bit like what I might call a neurotag. Hmm, that's interesting. Could you explain that more, please? Yeah. So basically, in hypnosis, we have what we call a mind model. And uh, uh, this mind model, the elements from it comes from Dave Elman, but the mind model itself was developed by Jerry, the late Jerry Kind. Uh, but there's three circles. And the outer circle represents the conscious mind. And that's where we have critical, analytical, judgmental, intellectual, thinking and short-term memory. And of course, that part of our mind serves us, but it's actually not the biggest part of what we use. And then next circle is the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind is all about imagination, creativity, emotions, uh, long-term memory, and like that. That's the part that hypnotists are most concerned with. And then the inner circle is the unconscious mind. And basically, this is mostly about our autonomic nervous system, our blood pressure, our blood flow, our, uh, breathing, things like that. Things that we don't generally pay attention to, but we can have an effect on. You know, I mean, I don't sit here going, oh, it's time to breathe in. Now it's time to breathe out. You know, we kind of take that for granted. We can control it, but we don't generally. And a lot of times we are controlling uh, blood pressure and things like that, but usually in a more negative sort of a way, but we can affect that. So the subconscious is where we're really looking at as uh, hypnotists and the subconscious is where habits are. And I kind of, the, the subconscious likes to do things in patterns. It likes to do the same thing over and over again. And because once it's learned a pattern, it takes no volition to continue going down that same route. It's what I call the path of least resistance. So if we've created a pattern of going to the gym five times a week, then that's a pattern that's going to work in our favor. But if we've created a pattern of going to the fast food twice a day, that's a pattern that's probably not going to work in our favor, but the subconscious doesn't care. It just likes to do the same thing over and over because that's the easy thing to do. Changing a That's why changing a habit is difficult. Change creates dissonance, and it's easier to just stay in our comfort zone and because that's effort. And that's where hypnosis comes in because we can change uh, these habits, these various patterns rather quickly. And soon that seems like this is your normal path of least resistance and it works in your favor. A little example that I use a lot is if you get up every morning and you step out on the porch and you head out down this path and you've been, you headed down that path every day, and this could be the path of a smoker, this could be the path of poor eating habits or some other habit. And one day, you get up and you step out on the porch and there's been a big snowstorm during the night and there's no path visible. But over here to the side, through the help of your local hypnotist, we've dug a new path. 
And now that becomes the easy path to go, and a new behavior has been created. Once we start going down that new path, that becomes the path of least resistance, and it's easier to maintain that. So uh, early habits that we learned, like uh, I was just talking with somebody earlier today, but uh, like if you were taught to clean your plate as a youngster, we continue to do that as adults, even though it's not working for us. Uh, But we learned that, and the goal becomes clean your plate. And it's not about, am I satisfied? Is this even something I need in my body or whatever? We just go for it. I love this so much because we certainly collectively have this belief that habit change is hard and that it takes work and that it takes lots of discipline. And when, and I know in, like in my work in helping people at the level of the nurse, nervous system, you can definitely, you know, I get to help people over break their habits and overcome limiting beliefs and things like that as well. What I think is really so special about hypnosis is really the the emotional processing piece of it. Because certainly, like I'm curious, like in your language, because I totally get the automatic part and we are so we are wired for what's familiar, not what's right for us, you know, and that's certainly why abused women go back to their abusers. And there's all, you know, I mean, like, I mean, that shows up in just a myriad of ways, but we also like it becomes, so we get so, you know, sometimes those habits have big emotional connections Mm -hmm. too. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when we use the term comfort food, what are we, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about foods that do give us a sense of comfort. And it could be something that happened from earlier in our life. Like every Sunday, uh, mom would fix a big uh, uh, chicken dinner or pot roast or whatever. And everybody would come around and we'd gather and all get together. And so that is associated with good feelings, comfort, and camaraderie. Also, those foods tend to be in high in carbohydrates, fats, sweets, things like that. So we get a little charge from those things. So it's not an accident that we call these things comfort food. And, and the problem is that we're getting a little too much comfort these days. And uh, we're going to, the, and, and, I, and I think rightfully so. Uh, part of it is we live in a more high-stressed world than ever before. And that's um, one of the things of late that has become really apparent to me is, you know, years ago, you know, I get smokers, smokers, smokers coming in and and now it's anxiety, 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 panic attacks. You know, it's like at least every other client is suffering from anxiety and even the other ones are, uh, you know, it, it, it can be affecting their eating habits, just the stress. You know, when we're under stress, we, we we're in this dissonant state and we may not even recognize that that's what's going on. But we we feel out of sorts. And we're going to look for something to kind of help chill that out. And it could be food, it could be cigarettes, it, it could be all sorts of you know, chemicals of some sort or another. So we're looking for something to kind of bring us back into that state of consonance, but it, it, it may not uh, work out very well. You know, when uh, 9-11 happened, I was listening to a psychologist that came on TV and she said, well, it's time for everybody to be nice to yourself, eat the food you want and everything. And I'm going, no, no, no. That's what people have been doing. And you can see what's, we need to do something else. Yeah, if you need to talk to your psychiatrist or your clergy or whatever, or friends and family that helps to give you comfort. But food, it, it does give us a little feel-good sensation, but the trouble is that doesn't last very long. And pretty soon now we're left with two problems. (laughs) We're stressed out and we're overweight at the same time. Right. Yeah. I had a 
I'll just share a personal story that ties into this. So I live in New Orleans and last year we evacuated for Hurricane Ida and I had started doing intermittent fasting keto fit plan uh, like maybe a month before Ida set in. Mm -hmm. And then we evacuated and our dog was diagnosed with cancer and he died while we were gone and we buried my mother-in-law while we were evacuated. And it was just this whole death march of things. And it was it would have been really easy to, to go, oh, I'm just going to throw the eating plan to the side because I need comfort food. It was really clear to me the though that the eating plan was incredibly grounding mm -hmm. and structuring it and really kept me in my power and kept me from losing my my groundedness right you know and really kept me very level-headed through a, a like a series of very difficult emotional events and so i th like i i think that this idea that in stress we need to that it like i understand completely it feels good to eat something Mm -hmm. pleasurable, you know, and yes. that gives us all those dopamine releases in our brains. But it was really, it was fascinating to me to have that experience of really, of not giving into that and how much power that really felt like. Yes, yes, that's a good point. And it's like, same thing, you know, like if you go to the gym, this is a great way to relieve stress. But what happens when we get under a lot of stress, maybe we're under time crunches, going to the gym becomes one of the first things that we throw by the wayside. And I, I'll tell you, I've had times when I, I got to the gym, pulled up in the drive in the parking lot and I go, oh my God, I'm, I am too tired to go in there and work out. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to be tired anyway. You know, I might as well go in and have a bigger reason to be tired. And, and so in moments like that, what is the language of the subconscious that, you know, or what's a way to, because you can't always, you know, just positive think yourself out of those moments. Yes, you're absolutely right. And what we say is uh, determination overrides motivation. You know what? It's like, do we think, well, do I really want to change the baby's diaper? Or do I really want to go to work today? You know, if we think about those things, you know, it's like now it becomes a struggle, but it's something that we have determined that I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of this child. I'm going to show up for work on time every day. We've made that determination so that we don't just struggle with it all the time. If we make a determination that I'm going to be on this diet and I'm going to stick with it, then we don't allow things to get in the way, much like when you stayed on your diet. You know, it's like you decided that's what you were going to do and you did it no matter what. And that's important. You know, I used to be an ultra distance runner and there were days, you know, if I'd have thought about it, nobody was motivating me. You, In fact, anything but that. But I got up in the morning and I laced up my new balances and I headed up a mountain trail somewhere and I never stopped to think, gee, do I really want to do this today? And it's not, it's like, no, it's something I do. And I just do it. You know, I don't try to motivate myself every day to do it. But mostly when people talk about motivation, they're talking about intrinsic motivation, where which are these feel good sensations that I'm just going to feel like dieting or feel like going for a run or whatever. But uh, and, and if we wait for that kind of motivation, we could have a long wait before that comes around, you know. Extrinsic motivation is more when, you know, somebody's got their foot in your butt making you do it, or there's some other kind of motive, outside motivation that's causing you to do it. You know, if it gets cold, you're motivated to put on a jacket, you know. So those kind of things are easier. But 
to motivate yourself, that that's something else, you know, and that takes that determination. We set our mind to do something, boom, we do it. One of the things I really love about hypnosis is how customized and tailored it is to the individual that it's not, while there are principles and patterns and things like that, it's really geared to meet the needs of that unique person. And one of the, I think I graduated from physical therapy school in the mid nineties, right at the advent of the push for evidence-based medicine. And what I noticed because I wasn't really, because that wasn't fully in place while I was receiving my education, even though we got plenty of research and things like that, we were also encouraged to, you know, we we were taught that we were, that our patients didn't read the textbook before they got sick or ended up in front of us. And so they weren't necessarily going to follow the textbook case and that we, you know, it was our job to use all the principles that we knew to adapt the knowledge and techniques to their unique situation. And medicine as a whole has really gone into this very protocol one size fits all or put everybody in a diagnostic box. And if you fall into this box, you get this intervention and this box, you get that intervention. And that the the data very much is, a, or, I, or like when I talk, I talk about how like external data at the expense of your internal data isn't helpful. Yeah. You know, and so I l- would love to, for you to talk about kind of how hypnosis really fills the gaps that medicine misses. Sure. Yeah, I love I love I like data, but you got you know, as Mark Twain said, there's three kind of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> oh, yes. And so you kind of gotta take data, uh you can't take it at face value because there's there's a lot of variables. And uh, you know, some some data does not uh, have an, enough variables to to really say well this is how that works and whatever i like the em- empirical evidence and things like that uh, that goes into medical uh, studies and like that but there's that part where that doesn't fit everybody and that's where i like to be cuz <laughs> i'm i'm the guy that's going to help you when that other stuff didn't you know, when there, there's specific protocols uh, for medical intervention, you know, if you need to have your appendix removed, this is how you do it. You don't go, well, I'm not going to make an incision here. I'm going to go in through the nose and then go work my way down that way. <laughs> yes, it yes. Work that way. Absolutely. But, but with hypnosis, it is like you say, it's each person is an individual. We have different causes for things. You know, uh, when people come in, I spend a lot of time interviewing them, getting background history, even with smokers. You, you know, you think, well, everybody's addicted to nicotine. Yeah, but there's why? Why is this guy smoking and somebody else isn't? You know, so we look at those kind of things. And when it comes to weight loss, it gets even more involved because, you know, uh, well, it could be with smoking too, but more so you'll find things like emotional is- issues and things are causing people to overeat or eat certain things or, or like that. So we look at all those variables. And I've had to work more of late with my weight loss clients than I used to in the past because we have all this additional stress. Not only that, our diets have gotten considerably worse in time. You know, there's things like high fructose corn syrup that's in everything. So, and all these little things are uh, adding issues. The uh, Academy for um, Young People recently came out with a part that they were uh, recommending these high strength uh, diet medications for people 
12 years old and bariatric surgery for 13 and over. And it's like, this is, this is out there. I mean, it's like, can, yeah. Can we not control ourselves? Can we, as a society, you know, <clears throat> my wife and I were saying, you know, when I was a kid, you might have one kid in class who was chubby and now half the class is chubby <laughs> or, or worse. Right, right. Well, and so I'm curious. So part of how I frame that is that when we can't get the sweetness of life, you know, we have difficult, you know, have difficulty extracting that, then we go look for the sweetness mm-hmm. externally. Absolutely. Are you familiar with Gabor Mate? Yes, yes. Yes. And he talks about some of this, uh, people who are addicted to drugs and stuff, you know, what are we looking for? You know, what is the drug giving us that we're not getting in our life? And it's more about love and affection and nourishment and stuff like that, that we're not getting. Absolutely. And how much of what you see, would you say is trauma related? Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And, you know, it's like, you know, uh, Lately, I've been getting a lot of uh, PTSD clients. I mean, I've always had some, but it's like lately mm-hmm. it's it's getting more and more. And we think of PTSD people as those who have been in some traumatic incident. But we can develop PTSD symptoms just from being in certain lifestyles. People can develop PTSD uh, by having bad dreams. You know, it's like so and there's a lot a lot of stuff going on if you had a traumatic childhood there might not be a specific incident that triggered that but the symptoms are there and i see this in people who are hypersensitive and like that that is symptom of ptsd or a ptsd like response and it's a type of hypervigilance you know somewhere along the way we learn to pay attention to these things if you if you've uh, had a lot of contact with people who are very psychic and like that, you look in their back. The ones that are really good, they got a background. That's Absolutely. I I have I have lived very deeply in that, like in that world. And the I like I will I will back that up. Absolutely. Like the ones that have had the most trauma. And I think at some level they they spend so much time escaping their bodies and going into the ethers to deal with the trauma that they become very good at psychic and, you know, at pulling down information that others might not have, have access to. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, I think we're all have that pretty much coming into the world, but we don't have to rely on it like they do because they don't have some of the other support uh, systems that, that we should have. And so they begin to rely on psychic abilities and like that. So that's how they experience their world. That's how they can create safety. But it also allows them to interpret what's going on in your brain and or your psyche or whatever. And Absolutely. Yeah. No, they're very good at, if I was going to tr- describe it somewhat scientifically, I would say that they created so much DMT in their own brains that they're mm-hmm. very good at entraining their brain waves yeah. with others to, you know, and with, with, with other energies beyond that. The downside of that is kind of it, they pay a price in stress too. So, oh, yeah. know, you know, it's, it's not- well, and I will tell you because I've done some, because I've been to some mediumship trainings and things like that, because I can't, I can't do that. I don't advertise that as part of my stick, but that's the, but when I was really, when my life was falling apart and I didn't know what was happening with me, that was one of the things I went and explored. And I will tell you that that population, that psychic mediums are some of the most morbidly obese uh-huh. 
people as a population that I've seen because, and I, because of the trauma and stress and the other things, and it's, you know, that it's just all part of their, their compensatory strategy and their story. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I see this all the time. And you would think that those people you just mentioned would be the ones filing into my office, but it rarely, rarely happens. Most of the people who come to me to lose weight are, you know, they got 30 or 40 pounds. The whole world has 30 or 40 pounds. Yes, yes, yes. And that's more typical of people who come to see me. And I just think observing over the years that those people who are really super obese, they don't want to, they don't, they don't want to deal with it. And yeah, there's trauma in their past. You know, it's like, that's not normal. It's, it's, it's not normal. And there's something underlying and I can help them and it might not take a lot. But you still got to show up in the office. That's <laughs> kind of yeah. Like, well, and that's so true. I mean, we all, none of us, you know, very few people wake up in the morning and go, "Oh, I want to deal with my stress and trauma today." Like that's not how we think. But but we are also all seeking that harmony or that you know to get out of the dissonance, to seek the nervous system regulation, the harmony, the you know feeling like we're gelling with everything yes. around us. And one of the things that that gets me are the is a concern to me is when when we're way overweight or even very much overweight or when we're smoking or when we're drinking, doing drugs and things like that is like, what is it that we're missing out on by doing those things? What is it we're not participating in? What, how is it that we're not living life as fully? Because those things are all holding us back in some way. And, you know, I have people come to me and they're 60, 70 or whatever, and they've been smoking all their life or they've been overweight all their life. And it's like, yeah. And now when they come in, it's a crisis. You know, if I don't do something now, my days are really numbered. But what I see is, yeah, but what didn't you do all these years? What was your life like because of your your choices? And it's like, now, now is the time. Now is the time to to do something about those things and not not wait until there's no other uh, choices. My wife and I, we were watching a show several years back and it was about smoking. And um, they were interviewing different people. Some of them were smokers or some of them were doctors or scientists or whatever. But they interviewed this one guy and he had lung cancer and he was virtually days from dying. And he said, if I'd only known, he said, I'd have stopped smoking. And I'm going, what freaking world are you in? It says right there in your cigarettes. <laughs> well, it's true. well and it goes back to, you know, to how we're wired for what's familiar, not what's right for us. I used to work in a department with cardiac rehab and we would see people, you know, days after open heart surgery with their chest pillows, squatting down between the cars, sneaking a smoke <laughs> in the parking lot because they, you know, and the fact they had just had their chest cracked open to have quadruple bypass surgery was not a motivator for them, not a deterrent. You know, that sometimes right. when you, sometimes hitting rock bottom is not the motivator. No. And you see some smoking programs at hospitals put on stuff, they show people these lungs of people that have lung cancer from smoking and all this kind of stuff and that has proven to be a very poor motivator and yeah uh, and people still go on and smoke and this guy in that show what he was really saying was if i knew i was the one that was going to get lung cancer i would have quit but as long as he was okay he wasn't going to give up smoking but the trouble is my wife says when you smoke 
you live on borrowed time. And the problem with borrowed time is you never know when it's going to get called in. So, Right. Yeah. Well, and it is the, um, you know, we are very poorly motivated, motivated from a preventative standpoint. You know, I see this from, I used to try to screen people for, for injury risk so that maybe they, you know, wouldn't injure their knees or wouldn't you know, need a knee replacement later on. Mm -hmm. And the feedback I got when I was marketing that was that they felt like I was telling them if they were going to get cancer. Like it was like the same, it was the same threat level that they didn't want to know. And I'm thinking like, it's just knee pain. (laughs) Like it's not, you know, that it was, but it, it, it is interesting. And one of the things I think about culturally, and we, like, I don't want to get too much on a, on a tangent here, but it's like, how could we, because we have hypnosis built into our society, as you said, through marketing and political speech patterns and things like that, is how could we build hypnosis that would help us in other ways into our society so that it wasn't that much work? Yeah, boy, uh, <laughs> that's a, I, I love that. I don't, it, it is a big a big job, but yeah, we we, we could do it. Uh, we we have to kind of change our mindset because if you look at everything is kind of cult like motivated, you know, whether it's politics, whether it's uh, drug manufacturers, whether it's uh, advertisers, they promote something that's fear based. Like this is the problem. A good example I use in a book that I'm writing now is. You know, there's a toilet tissue company that comes on and they have bears. And I didn't know bears was that big of a toilet paper buying demographic, but apparently they are. But they show these bears having little bits of paper left over. And so they're creating this fear. And then they go, here, our toilet paper will solve your problem. And and that gets people to buy their product. Also, like, how, how often do we hear this term breaking news, breaking news, breaking news? <laughs> Well, what does that do? It creates fear in us. So now we have to listen to the evening news to see what's going on. And we find out it's maybe not that big of a deal, but it's got our cortisol levels up. So in order to go to sleep, we gotta find out what's yeah, going on. Yeah, no, we're, yeah, no, we're definitely uh, collectively uh, cortisol junkies at some level or that, <laughs> that, or the contrast between all of that. And I think that we can, I fundamentally, fundamentally believe we can get our contrast in other ways that it doesn't have to be through all the trauma and drama that we, that we do. And so what, like beyond weight loss, like your client testimonial page of your website is very impressive. And so like, what's really possible for us if like, as hypnosis gets more and more mainstream? So to me, everything is possible. And I just, you know, I'm a hypnotist. So everything I see is something that we can help with hypnosis. Now, if you come to me with a broken arm, I'm going to send you to the doctor. But the subconscious you know, whether you went to the doctor or not, that bone would start to mend. You know, our our subconscious is in every part of our body, every cell of our body. And I, what I tell my students is, you are not the healer. The healer is the one sitting over there in the recliner that you're talking to. That is the person who is the healer. They're doing the healing. All you're doing is helping them to find their own method uh, or their way. And so, uh, and I tell my students, if you think you're doing it to them, your life is going to be hard. But if you, if you're just allowing them to do their own work, your, your job gets a lot easier. And, and that's the thing. It's the person is the healer. All of our solutions, I don't care if it's a physical issue or if it's emotional thing or whatever, it's here. You know, we don't have to look out here somewhere. It's right here. And, uh, by talking to the subconscious mind and 
overcoming these things. And it's as if these things never happened at all. And a lot of the things that we are traumatized about didn't happen. Or we remember them in a way that isn't accurate at all. We, we are masterful storytellers, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Like, and that's the, you know, fundamentally and, you know, in, in neurotransmitter terms, you know, the, neuro, the neurotransmitter sequence we need for change is the same neurotransmitter sequence that a good story takes us through as well. And those, yeah, and those stories really get locked in the emotional parts of our brain that end up blocking, you know, that, that kind of transformation. So you have a lot of testimonials, you know, certainly for weight loss and for infertility. And, you know, when I think about like, when you talk about the broken arm, you know, when, often when I would refer out for, for hypnosis, it would be for people that like always injure one side of their body or mm. that broke their ankle three times or got in a car accident three times in a year. I'm like, whoa, 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 you've got something else happening here that you need to, yes. you know, that, that needs to be unwired that you're seeking, you know, that like life is literally hitting you over the head over and over like there's some other message that you need to get and you know and I have my own ways of interpreting that but I've always found hypnosis a really helpful adjunct in getting people to unpattern those those kinds of things within their bodies right and unpattern I think is a pretty good way to look at it yeah we can shift those but you're, you're right if things keep happening over and over like I uh, a friend of mine she kept getting rear-ended in the traffic and she goes well, it's not my fault. And it was time after time after time. And I go, you, not everybody has this happening. There's something else is going on. You're attracting <laughs> right. this somehow. You know, it's, it's not, yep. it's not an, it is an accident, but it's not an accident at the same time. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that those, you know, like you said earlier, that everything that's happening outside of you is really a reflection of what's happening inside. And when we have that inner conflict or that rub between our internal self and our external self or our subconscious and conscious self, sometimes it shows up as repetitive injuries or repetitive car accidents or even one injury or one car accident or you know i think that is often very i think the universe is very creative in how that works yeah so sometimes the change doesn't have to be huge to make a big difference you know and uh when I'm working with the, well, I'm going to say cyclists, because I work with a lot of cyclists that go to the Tour de France and to the Olympics and stuff like that. But these guys and women, mostly guys that I see, but some some women as well, these people are elite athletes. And I tell I'm not going to make you an elite athlete. You already are. What I'm going to do is give you that little edge that puts you over the line first, you know, and 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 sometimes it's not a lot. And I have people, they ask me, they go, well, uh, and most of the other hypnotists, they go, well, what is it you say or do to them? And it's like, I never know. I never know until I get to know this individual, what that's going to be. But because some hypnotists, you go to the hypnotist, whatever issue you got, he pulls out a script and reads it to you, thinking that that generic script is going to fit everybody. But that's rarely is the case. I mean, yeah, that works a lot of times, but still, I look at each individual as a unique person, entity, and I work with what it is that's, you know, maybe blocking them. And for a cyclist, it might not be anything about cycling. It could be they're having trouble with their relationship or, you know, their mother uh, weaned them to or something, you know, but it's like it's, it's crazy sometimes what it might be. And a lot of times it's just about me sitting there and talking to their subconscious mind and 
convince it there's a better way to do things. And once we get into this state, we're opening up an opportunity for the subconscious to do healing beyond that, which we might have even imagined. Because when a client comes in, you know, they may have a specific thing they want to work on. But now, when we've opened up the subconscious, that might not be the big thing that needed to change. And other things change. And I have people who come in and they have a laundry list of things. They go, well, I got this going on and I got that going on and this, that and the other thing. And I look at their list and I go, well, when we fix this and that, all that other stuff will disappear. Because most of it's all connected in some way. They just don't Absolutely. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so I'd love to talk about the importance of working with a professional on these things and not trying to, I know I know self-hypnosis is a thing and some people teach that. And I think one of your book titles, it seems to me, sort of... Well, there was what is hypnosis really and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> like or reading your bio, but it made me... But like it, but it's really important with this to establish yourself with a professional first, because when you're opening up your subconscious, you really need someone to hold the container. I've worked with a number of people who have done plant medicine ceremonies that went sideways, mm-hmm. largely because either they weren't ready or the person that was facilitating it was not able to hold the container for them and help them integrate it and process it. And so, you know, and I can imagine that hypnosis in a, without a container in somebody to really establish that safety in the process can really, could potentially go sideways too. You're absolutely right. And I've seen that sort of thing happen. And because when we do open that up, there is that opportunity for, and I wouldn't say even uh, sideways necessarily, but we're opening ourselves up to uh, reliving emotions of the past and things like that. And if you don't know how to deal with those kind of things, that could be problematic. Not only that, we do not want to keep revisiting traumas that isn't reframing the trauma and getting rid of it. Otherwise, we're just reinforcing the trauma. So we, we want to change it. You know, it's like... Uh, oh, I would like I like I would shout that from the rooftops. Like the number of people I've seen over the years from different practitioners who were the therapy re-traumatize, like the, pro- their, the therapeutic process, whatever that is, ends up re-traumatizing them over and over is like, it's such a big issue that we have to, and there's, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about hypnosis and nervous system regulation is that you do not have to relive your trauma to get better. Yeah. So we get past that. If, if we keep visiting that, we're not fixing it. So we need, to me, it's like one time there's better do it, you know, because we're, we're going to get over this and we're going to go on. And that's that you know, uh, where Fessinger's theory of cognitive dissonance comes in. And I, I'm sure Fessinger did not have a realization of this or how powerful it is in hypnosis. But when we get to the bottom, like he said, our, our tendency, we want to go from a dissonant state to a consonant state. If we're in a consonant state, we want to avoid the dissonance by any means possible. But when we visit that dissonant state, which in hypnosis is very real, there's a natural tendency to want to get into that consonant state. And when we give the subconscious that consonant state, boom, it goes there. And it's as if that other thing never happened at all, because the subconscious accepts this as truth, just the way it did that other thing. And now, boom, we can go on with life as if that never happened at all. And I see it happen over and over. It's like 
it can be miraculous. I'm <laughs> just, it's just crazy. And yeah, a person is in discomfort for a while, but it's not a very long while. That's and so the, the subconscious accepts the reframe as truth. Is that what you would say? Yes, exactly. And so what, tell me a little bit about the framework for hypnosis or, or one, like what steps can people take if they're interested in this, how would they vet okay, yeah. a so practitioner? They can, of course, uh, go to our website. If they're looking for to work with somebody in their area, they can go to the National Guild of Hypnotists website and they have a referral service there. You may want to get a few referrals because to just get one referral and think that that's going to be a match, it might not be. And, and I say that with any kind of therapy. You, it, the... There's a book uh, called Consciousness of Change. Michael, in, anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a university textbook, but he talks about how change occurs. And one of the things is, the most important thing is, how do you connect with the therapist? That is the biggest marker about whether or not you're going to have success. So it's important you connect with somebody that you feel uh, some simpatico with. And so you might... You might want to get a few referrals and like that. So also on our website, there are some free downloads. There's stuff for uh, stress reduction. There's some healing things, stuff like that. That allows people to put their toe in the water, you know, at least get a feel for it. They might feel a little safer actually going into a professional setting. It's pretty darn easy for most people when they come in to see me because I do a lot of deep state stuff that feels really good and you leave feeling better and like that. But everybody has their own kind of methodologies, you know, that's like like that. So would it be accurate to say that with that different practitioners will mix and match similar steps to get to the yes. same outcome or like versus the, having like a hardcore or like what's like in terms of like creating that hypnotic? Yes, there, there are a lot container. of different approaches. Some like the state that I live in, Colorado, we have no restriction as far as the types of approaches that we can do. We are regulated heavily and watch, we have watchdogs on us all the time, which I think is a good thing. So we're hypnotists in Colorado are all psychotherapists. So we are regulated just like anybody would be. And we have to follow certain rules and regulations. In some states, Wyoming, just up the street from me, there's no regulation whatsoever. But that doesn't mean you don't have to maintain good ethics and like that. So some states are, are practitioners are regulated as to what sorts of things they can do and or it's their abilities. Some can only do suggestion work with you. Some people will do what we call parts therapy or mediation therapy or things like that. Some people just do guided visualizations, things like that. So it depends. I, I do them all. So you know, it's like fantastic. Yeah. And so and talk for a minute about how th th that you don't need to be people don't need to be in your office if you they want to come see you that this works even over zoom. I have done hypnosis in that format before. And so I will be the first to say that it works. <laughs> you can yes, do it great. over zoom. Yes. And today is my zoom day with clients It's one. Of, well, I may do more than one zoom day. But Typically, Wednesday is my Zoom day, and I stay home and work over the computer. The rest of the time, I go into the office, and which I prefer. It's the modern age, and everything is like done over the computer anymore. And especially during COVID, I was like, I was only seeing clients over Zoom. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's kind of 
kind of the way it is. I like seeing people in person. For one thing, I get a better example of body language and things like that that helps me. And I'll do whatever it takes because I can help you. And your website is hypnodenver.com. Right. So, and there are free downloads there. So for anybody that's interested in checking out Drake, you can find out a lot more about him and his work. And is there anything else that you'd like to share right now? If you're wanting to drop a few pounds, I think there's some a couple of downloads there that would help with that as well. You know, I've come out, I don't know if you saw my, here's one of my new books, Activate Your Muse. For people who are wanting to be writers or are having writer's block or things like that, this is a good book to stimulate your subconscious to get that to happen. And my other book that just came out, these came out in the last few weeks is the Hypnotist Bible. And this is going to be good for hypnotists. Other people probably won't find it much useful, but it's a talks about all the kinds of information, terminology and stuff and where it came from. And it's 500 and some pages of good stuff. Oh, fantastic. Well, and you do a lot of training other hypnotists. So yeah, you're very... Right involved in that yeah yeah in fact Lindsay and i have taught all over the world we've taught in europe a number of times and uh australia the caribbean canada and like that so we're, we're about due for another overseas trip i think <laughs> Well, fantastic. So whether you're looking for services for yourself or professional training, check out Drake's website, hypnodenver.com. And thank you for listening again to Fearless Presence. Thank you, Drake, for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Fearless Presence podcast. Text FEARLESS to 411321 to take your first step into Fearless Presence. For international numbers and more information, including my free playbook, Six Steps to Fearless Presence, go to fearlesspresence.com. Be sure to subscribe for more inspiring stories and information to help you step into your fearless presence.